0: So, uh, you know, I went back and forth about what to do about last Shabbat. And uh, when I got done last week, I really did not have any intention of doing that again. I usually, because you know me, I I do not manuscript anything, (laughs) right? So once it's like out there, it's there it goes, right? I, uh, and, and so, uh, first I thought, well, just forget it. That's, you know, life. That's how it goes. Right. But then I, 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 uh, was encouraged to do something. Right. So then I thought that, well, I could, uh, I could record it. But I will say recording, uh, uh to a computer, uh, with like nobody in the room, uh, is okay. I, uh, but not optimal, right? So what I'm going to do is do something I haven't done in 41 years of a uh, full-time ministry. Yes, that's 41 years altogether, right? Some of you are saying that's older than me, right? Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to basically give the message again, all right? But, you know, it's kind of like pizza. Right? Sometimes it's better the second time around. Right? Okay? Even if it's a little cold. Alright. Uh, so, uh, and I actually, of course, in thinking about it again, it's not simply redoing it because again, it's, it's different. Every time, it's, every time, every time I open my mouth, <laughs> it's different. Right? And I'm going to accentuate uh, something a little different today and, and it'll be really a different message. And it's an important message because, uh, you know, we teach through books of the Bible here. Uh, and for a long time, we have been in the book of Acts. I mean, since before COVID. (laughs) All right. We have been in the book of Acts, right? And to, and so last week was the last message at the very end of chapter 28. The last message. Right, and so by the providence of God, God said, uh, as uh, as a famous baseball player on the Chicago Cubs used to say, "Let's play too," right? And uh, and so uh, we're we're going to accentuate the very end of the Book of Acts uh, in chapter uh, twenty-eight, uh, and it does have a great ending. It really does have a great ending, uh, and a very important ending for us. All right. So, very quickly here, uh, for several weeks we've talked about uh, the end of the book of Acts. And one of the things we always want to remember about Acts, because it's a narrative, right? It's it's not um, like a letter that's written to a particular congregation, right? It, it's a narrative. That means that the author is accentuating things that the, um, that the people in the book are doing. Sometimes, you know, when, we're, when we read narratives in the Bible, we get the idea that the people that are being written about did the writing themselves. But actually, the author is always trying to get something across. We learned that in our MSI class on the book of Micah, actually, that Micah is, puts words into the mouths of the people. Uh, and, uh, and and it's just really very interesting to understand that. Okay, what's he trying to say? So Luke here, what's he trying to say by what he includes and what he doesn't include? Uh, you know, uh, especially uh, especially at the end. Okay, so we uh, have talked here a little bit about the passage. If you look at the very, if you turn to uh, Acts twenty eight at the end, right? We've already talked about the fact that Paul is speaking to a Jewish audience, and that they leave. There's some who are convinced, but the majority are not. And then he quotes a, a portion of Isaiah chapter six, where he says the people, you know, don't hear. The people don't see. This is just like it was in the, you know, in the book of in the book of Isaiah. Right, uh, and uh, we said, well, I won't turn to them, but we said that there are three times in the book of Acts where uh, Paul is speaking to a group of Jewish people, and the majority of the people reject the message, and each time he says, now I'm turning to the Gentiles. And And the other two times, because this is the end of the book, but the other two times... Immediately, he goes to a synagogue. So when Luke wrote this, he wants us, the readers, to understand that, okay, this is the way that the message is going to the Gentiles. That we see that Paul, when he speaks to groups of Jewish people, reject the message, basically run them out of town, right? Right? And then, and then it says, and now I am turning to the Gentiles, three times, and that's what you see here. Also, says the very he does the very same thing, because after he quotes the passage from Isaiah, he says, let it in verse twenty-eight. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles; they will also listen. So he does it three times. Notice also, it says, they will also listen. It doesn't say, they'll listen, you know, I'm done with ever speaking to Jewish people again, and now I'm going to the Gentiles. He says, they will also listen, okay? Uh, And so Luke is basically explaining how the message is going to the nations. It goes to the nations as a result of the rejection of the message by the community of Israel. Not all Jewish people, there's always a remnant, right? Right? And Paul brings, uh, you know, he brings uh, this out in Romans chapter 11, right? He brings, in fact, uh, 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 I would say, you know, before I did this whole teaching over several years on Acts, I never really related Acts to the middle of the book of Romans in this way, but it really is, I think, very significant, okay? At the beginning of Romans 11, Paul says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Okay. So he's saying, you know, he's answering the question of why is it that the vast numbers of Jewish people are not embracing the Messiah of Israel? If he's the Messiah of Israel, it only would make sense That Israel would embrace the Messiah. People say that to us today. (laughs) The very same thing, right? And so he says, God has not rejected Israel, right? Uh, He says, I too am an Israelite. In other words, I'm part of the remnant. I'm exhibit A, he says. Right? And as I look around the room, there's exhibit, there's a number of us that, that become the, the examples of God has not rejected his people. Certainly there is a remnant of Israel, just as it was in the days of the prophets. In the days of the prophets, the vast majority of people basically rejected the message of the prophets, and it was always a small group within a group. Uh, that uh, that uh, repented, and you know, and that we would consider the the remnant. And Paul is saying here in Romans eleven, it's still the same. The, st- it's still the same way. And then he quotes a couple of passages. He, he talks about Elijah, how Elijah thought he was the only one. You know, it's it's a great uh, passage there in First Kings uh, after the great great moment. You know, uh, of calling down fire from God on those sacrifices. He runs away. Jezebel's chasing him, wants to kill him. And then he gets depressed. And he thinks he's the only one. And God says to him, no, there's 7,000 others, just like you. You're not the only one, right? Sometimes it kind of feels that way, right? No matter who we are, it kind of feels that way, right? But certainly, you know, among Jewish believers... In Yeshua, sometimes it's like, wow, is there really only a few of us? <laughs> you know? Right? And then, uh, uh, and then, uh, what he does, uh, he quotes this passage from Isaiah chapter six, just like Luke, uh, quotes Paul, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in, in Acts, right? Uh, he says, uh, here, In verse uh, 7 of Romans 11, What then? That which Israel is seeking for it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just as it was written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, ears to hear not, down to this very day. And then he quotes another passage from the Psalms that basically says you know, the same thing. So his conclusion is, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Right. That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. They have not stumbled so as to fall. Stumbling and falling are very important words here. Right. Stumbling means like I tripped, like I do sometimes. If I'm running very, walking very, I'll actually trip on the carpet here. Right. And fall down. Well, maybe not fall, but you know, trip. Right. I, but, but it, but I'm, but I'm quickly uh, recover and keep going right? Falling is like falling off the Grand Canyon, like you're going to take a picture, take one more step back, yikes, that's the end of it, right? Uh, permanently. In other words, when he says, they did not stumble so as to fall, in other words, God is not finished with them, but it's not all over, he says, may it never be. And then he says these words, which are which we read in the story of Acts, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, that's what Luke is bringing out, one of the things Luke is bringing out in the book of Acts, to make them jealous. And then he says, Now of their transgression be riches for the world, and their failure be riches for the Gentiles. Failure meaning rejecting the Messiah of Israel. How much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much them as, as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry of somehow how I move to jealousy, My fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Meaning that the salvation of Israel is the key to everything at the end, to the consummation and how important uh, that is, right? Uh, And that's why later on, uh, he's going to say, Uh, In verse uh, 25, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. And then he quotes a a passage from the Tanakh. Uh, And so clearly he's saying that this rejection, like that Luke is writing about, right, is not the end of the story for Israel, uh, and uh, what Luke describes in Acts is Jews and Gentiles coming to faith in Messiah and being joined together in one community, one community. And that's why in the middle of Romans 11, he says here in verse 17, but if the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partakers with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. So uh, clearly, Paul is, writing in writing to the Romans, he is describing, theologically you might say, what Luke is writing about historically. Does that make sense? What Luke is writing about historically in the book of Acts Paul is writing about theologically or doctrinally theologically uh in uh, in Romans uh 11, right? Uh and so that's very important. So it teaches us a few things, okay? It teaches us a few things. First, uh that uh the the rejection of the Messiah by the community of Israel, not all Jewish people, but by the community of Israel uh, is part of the overall plan of God, okay? Uh, and part of the, the uh, like Isaiah fifty three, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You read in Isaiah fifty three that the Messiah was going to be is going to be misunderstood. You read that uh, in fact, uh, uh, when you look at it carefully in Isaiah fifty three. You talk about this misunderstanding. It says, So who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. That's really... I love that. Because when you think about famous spiritual leaders, are there any that are really unattractive? Or that write books and have their picture on the back of the book. Did you ever notice that? That there's, you, you know, that people are generally physically attractive. I don't know. I don't, I just an observation. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not famous, nor have I written a book. And there you go. Right? But I just wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> but it's really true. But Yeshua, we would, we would not be attracted to him. He was not an attractive, you know, a person that you'd be drawn to him, right? And then it says, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And one like from men whom hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. We didn't like him and we didn't think very much of him. This, by the way, is a prophetic statement of the remnant of Israel at the end. Looking back, this is like a testimony of Israel at the end. You know, in other words, we didn't recognize him. We didn't realize he was the Messiah. That's what this Isaiah 53 is. It's a description of how we, as Jewish people, historically un- have understood Yeshua, right? And then it, it says, Surely our, uh, our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You know, those, those are, sometimes when you read these words, you know, you're like, you're just running over them. You know what that means? We thought he was suffering for his own sins. We thought he was suffering for his own disobedience to God. How's that for being misunderstood? How's that for being marginalized? All right? And then it says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging or whippings and so on, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So, what you're here is certainly a testimony of rejection in the Tanakh. So, what we learn from what Luke is writing and then quoting Isaiah, quoting the prophet Isaiah from hundreds of years earlier, Yeshua does the same thing, by the way. Uh, and then Paul in Romans 11 quoting the same, saying this. What goes around comes. It's the same deal that the people still are rejecting. They the, still have the this uh, rebellious um, attitude, one might say, right? Uh, and so the first thing is is that this is all part of the plan of God. Okay. Another thing we learn uh, is that it was part of the plan of God for Israel to reject the Messiah in order for the nation, in order for the message to reach the Gentiles, that this was the method of doing this. But be reassured, Israel, the Jewish people have not stumbled covenantally so as to fall, right? Individually, everybody has uh, the responsibility, uh, you know, in terms of one's eternal destiny, every individual, Jew or Gentile, has the responsibility of embracing Yeshua and having their sins forgiven. But as a people, as people of, of, in covenant relationship, being called of God, right? I certainly, uh, you know, this is the case. And by the way, if at the end of Romans chapter 11, we might say, you know, we might think to ourselves, what kind, I would have never thought of this kind of method of bringing the gospel to the nations that would be the rejection. And so what does Paul say at the end of when he explains all this? Theologically, at the end of Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment, judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? <laughs> In other words, this is like beyond a, a human being's ability to really comprehend. He himself says that. Right, and so that's what Luke is bringing out at this first part of the end. Okay, so now going back to Luke uh, to Acts twenty-eight, going back to the end of Acts twenty-eight. So he says, you know, uh, the Gentiles will also listen. Okay, and then we said last time in verse twenty-nine, it says. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute amongst themselves. And it's in parentheses. That's because when you look at all the different Greek manuscripts, it's not in all of them, and the verse is kind of questionable whether it's it's in the whether it's authoritative or not. So what they end up doing, most English translations, is they put it in and they put it in parentheses, like just in case. Okay, all right. And so then, chapter verses thirty and thirty-one, the last two verses. And it says, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, and was welcoming all who came to him. Right, welcoming all who came to him. So this issue of two years, right? Conventional wisdom is it was about the year sixty when he gets to Rome, uh, and uh, um, uh, and he's there for two years until sixty-two. Now, it just stops there. It doesn't tell us what happens. It doesn't say he died there. It doesn't say he got released. It doesn't say that he went before Caesar. It, it just kind of leaves us hanging, right? Uh, and so the first thing we want to uh, understand is what went on during those two years. So uh, notice he's in his own rented quarters, uh, and uh, things are up- seem seemingly not bad for him in terms of being under like house arrest he could receive all kinds of visitors and you know uh, you know and things um and things of that nature right uh and uh, uh so uh the question is you know what's what's going on well during that period of time is when he wrote to a number of the congregations that's when he wrote ephesians Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Okay, uh, he was. Uh, this was from this uh, house arrest, and uh, it is interesting. And uh, Ken uh, Cornwell reminded me of this this morning. Right, that uh, when you read uh, in, um, I think it's in the beginning of Philippians. I think. I think it's here. I'm not going to look for it. But uh, that, uh, you know, the, the people in Philippi were worried about his uh, imprisonment, right? And he says this, he says, Grace to you and peace from uh, from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation of the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing. Right? That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Messiah Yeshua. He clearly is not that concerned about himself in prison. I might be saying, will you send me a cake with a file in it or something? You know, maybe I could get out of here, you know? But no, he's uh, just like praising God, thanking God, and so on. And then he says, for it is only right for me to feel this way for you, because I have in you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense of my confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace uh, with me. And then he talks he talks uh, about uh, this uh, his circumstance. He says in verse twelve of Philippians one, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Messiah has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So, very importantly, his imprisonment is not a hindrance to the gospel. He sees whatever circumstance that he is in as furthering the good news. Maybe not the way he perhaps had envisioned it, Right, but whatever circumstance he found himself in was furthering the cause of the Messiah. That is very, very important here of what for what Luke is trying to get across at the end. Okay, so uh, this issue of the two years. Okay, so Paul did not see this as a hindrance. That's important. All right, uh, and this issue of two years. So. There's different, uh, you know, understandings of what happened. We we have to rely on histories, like church histories from the second century and the third century, to, to have any idea of what happened, and, and so we're not sure. So either after two years he died, and which would mean, by the way, that then he would have written also First and Second Timothy and Titus. Okay, what are called the pastoral letters, right? okay or after 2 years he was released which is this is what this is the what most people think after 2 years like around 62 he was released for 2 years he did a little more traveling and now this is when he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus 1 Timothy and Titus during this free period of 2 years and then in 64 Nero is the emperor not a good time for anybody okay uh, and that he was then imprisoned again, but in a much severer way. And it's very interesting. I won't take the time, but what most people then believe is that that's when he wrote Second Timothy, is in this severe incarceration. And when you read the end of Second Timothy, he writes differently about his incarceration than, in, than other times. In other words, it's more difficult, bring me clothes for the winter, bring me writing, uh, you, you know, uh, bring me uh, parchment. You know, he did not have access now, see? So it's kind of interesting. So as we like to say, the 60s have always been a tumultuous decade, all right? Uh, and so that's the issue with the two years. But we might still ask ourselves, why doesn't Luke tell us? You know, why doesn't he tell us, Right? Uh, And uh, there's a reason for that, I uh, would suggest. And the reason for that is that this is not a biography of Paul. This is not the story of Paul's ministry. It's not the story of uh, Peter's ministry. It's not the story of John's ministry. It is the story of Yeshua's continued ministry in this world. Remember that Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and they were two volumes of one work. Luke and Acts. Okay? At the very end of Luke, we read this. At the very end of Luke, beginning in verse 44, he says, it says this. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is Yeshua, of course, is now risen from the dead. Right? Uh, and he's been with them now for a while. Okay? These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, which by the way is a great verse because it shows that in the first century, you know how we understand the Tanakh? The, the Torah, the prophets and the writings? That is what Yeshua is saying. He uses Psalms because it's the largest part of that last section. And he, and I would suggest, this it, in the first century, this is how the Jewish people understood the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, just like we would say today, right? So the Torah of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Remember, there was no new covenant scriptures. It's ta- he's talking about the entire Tanakh, talking about Yeshua in the Tanakh, right? or Old Testament, if you're not familiar, if you're visiting today, perhaps, if you're not familiar with that terminology. Okay, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah should suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. And Acts begins there. The book of Acts begins there with the last words of Yeshua, right? And so when you go to the beginning of the book of Acts, right? I, we read uh, uh, here, uh, after the after the introduction, right? Um, it says in verse 4, And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard from me. For Yohanan, or John, immersed you with water, but you shall be immersed with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And so when he had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And then he's going to say, the answer is, yes, but we don't know when, right? And But what you're called to do, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And then we read in chapter 2 that the Ruach is poured out, and just so we understand it, that what the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in being poured out, right, is to be the living presence of Yeshua. A good way to say it is that Yeshua dwells in our midst via the Holy Spirit. It's not, like Yeshua's not like off somewhere, okay? We need to understand that, alright? Uh, and, and so Yeshua dwells in our midst. Once the Ruach is poured out, what the book of Acts is about is about the history of Yeshua in this world, the priesthood of the Messiah. At the right hand of the Father, he lives and he is at work in this world, working through Peter, working through John, working through Stephen, working through Paul. What do they all have in common? Hindrances all the way around. They're going to prison, they get stoned, But the point is, is that the message keeps going. Yeshua doesn't go to prison. Yeshua doesn't die with Stephen again. Yeshua is alive all the way through. And the way Acts ends is he's still alive. And every generation is the next chapter of the book of Acts. Yeshua is still alive and is uh, at work in the world. And so, when we come again to the end of Acts, in Acts, uh, uh chapter, uh, 28, right? I, uh, the, the, we want to, uh, understand, uh, is that, as it says here, It says, okay, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, with all openness unhindered. And so, very interestingly, every person was hindered in their personhood. That's in Acts. But the message is unhindered. Yeshua is the message. And the message is unhindered. So what do we learn from this? One of the things uh, uh, that we learn uh, from this is that none of us are indispensable. None of us are indispensable. Not one person is indispensable to the message of the the Messiah. None of us. Because God is the one who is doing the work and he'll use whomever he desires in whatever century or period of time it may be. We are here to carry the message forward as long as God does the work. We're called to show up. We're called to, you know, be obedient to God, to yield to him, right? And in fact, I have, I probably, did I leave it up? Did I leave it up there? OK, don't mind me. I'm just going up here for a second. OK, and I left it up here. So I have this little plaque that uh, I've had on my desk. Uh, you can't ever see it, because it's usually surrounded by coffee cups uh, and papers everywhere. Okay. You, OK, all right. So it says, God is ready to assume full responsibility For the life holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, yielded to him. And that's what we're called to be. And then God will use us. He'll use us in our lifetime. But none of us are indispensable. No group is indispensable. Do you know there have been movements all throughout history? All throughout history there have been movements. There have been revivals all throughout. They come, they go, then God does it again. And he uses all different kinds of people, right? Uh, And but what we're called to do is to fulfill our calling, uh, you know, and be obedient to him, and to be good stewards of the time and resources uh, that he has uh, given us. Uh, You know, the future of the entire enterprise is the work uh, of uh, of God, and you know, before there was a modern messianic. A Jewish movement, messianic congregations, right? There were there was Jewish outreach. There were Jewish people coming to faith. It, it was in a different way, a different mode, uh, a different period of history, different terminology, different language, right? I, and I have here different avenues of Jewish people coming to faith. We weren't always called Messianic Jews, right? There was a day when we were called Hebrew Christians. Well, that all ended, thank the Lord, right? That ended, uh, but not the message. Just the methodology changed, you know? Uh, And so the good news is that the message continues uh, unhindered. We could almost say despite ourselves, Right, despite ourselves, you know, um, uh, you may not be aware of this, but earlier in the 20th century, in the 19 probably up through the 1960s, uh, uh, Coney Island, Coney Island, Brooklyn, right? There was quite a, a Jewish outreach. I knew some of those people. Uh, you know, it was really a, a, a quite a thing. But we may never have heard of it, you know. Uh, in the mid 1800s, there was a revival in Europe. That is when the uh, Hebrew-Christian alliance was birthed in 1869. is interesting? Like, 60s. Someone should do a, a dissertation on that. Okay. All right. Uh, there was work going on in Chicago, right? Peniel Center, other things that don't exist anymore. They don't exist. Their time was up. It's interesting. Their time was up, and then God did something new, right? Okay. So where am I going with this? All right. Don't worry, all right? Okay. So, uh, you, you know, so here, here, right? None of us are indispensable. And that's something we really need to get, right? And so, uh, you know, the whole future of the modern Messianic Jewish movement, the whole future of Beth Messiah, it's in God's hands. God has to be the person, you know, to raise up new people. Young people, children, everything. God, you know, God has. But we're called to to be good stewards along the way. Not wringing our hands. Oh my gosh, what what's going to happen? What's going to well, whatever happens is you know in, providentially and sovereignly is in the hands of God. All right. But we're called to do our best in our time. But what I would say um, for us uh, is uh, that uh, it certainly is time for, uh, you know, fresh blood in our decision-making department, right? Uh, That is, uh, the time has come. And may I suggest, you know, the book of Acts is about the progress of this work. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, may I suggest that we are, you know, this congregation began in the mid-1970s. I would say that right now we are in the most critical time in the history of this congregation and in this movement about, you know, the past, the present, and the future. Very, very important, right? Very, very important. Uh, And uh, and so uh, we carry the mantle during our lives. We carry the mantle during our lives. But boy, you know, we all need to realize, everybody here at Beth Messiah, that, wow, we need to step up to the plate. When I say we, I'm going to say, I'm going to be very bold. I'm going to say, people younger than me. Okay? (laughs) Okay? There's not too many, right? Is there? No, yes, there is. Right? Right? Really, uh, that is, it, it is time for, in certain parts of congregational life at Beth Messiah to be passing the baton. It's time. And, you know, we'll talk more about that. But the point is, is that it is God's work, and the work goes on unhindered. And that should free us uh, and make us realize, wow, you know, uh, it is God's work. Uh, we plant, we water, but God gives the increase, right, as the scriptures say. Uh, and uh, when you look at the end of the book of Acts, You know, the, uh, the message, what is Luke is saying is Paul is, Paul is in prison, Israel is rejecting the message, but the message is going on unhindered. And so it did. After the end of the Book of Acts, so it did in the second century, in the third century, in the fourth century, and, and and so on. Was it pretty? No, not necessarily. But I'm going to tell you that that Yeshua did not go to sleep. Okay, in uh, you know the sixteen or seventeen hundred years until about the seventeen hundreds, Yeshua did not go to sleep. All right, uh, the message uh, continued and uh, and so uh, may the message continue indeed uh with us right and uh, may we uh use our time that God has given us to the best as we possibly can uh, of of not diluting this message but recognizing it began with yeshua saying behold the kingdom of heaven is at hand uh and at the very end uh here uh what we have here is that Paul, the very last verse of the book of Acts says, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching concerning the Lord Yeshua with all openness and unhindered. So may we keep preaching the kingdom of God uh, to Israel and to the nations. May we continued may we continue to disciple to, to uh, educate uh, and to help uh, one another to grow in our relationship with God. Uh, and recognize that no matter where we're at, the message remains unhindered. And so wherever we may be in life, if we feel that, you know, I'm kind of stuck or I'm in a place where nothing is happening, recognize that the message continues. Whatever situation we may find ourselves in, may we have the attitude of Paul when he was in this prison that for the furtherance of the good news, whatever situation I'm in, for the furtherance of the good news. It's not about me, and it's not about my situation. It's about this message uh, being proclaimed. And that is how the book of Acts uh, ends. And so uh, may we uh, remain faithful, may we remain encouraged, and uh, use our time, our resources, and all that God has given us to fulfill our calling. Uh, And uh, uh, isn't it a wonderful thing that uh, no matter what happens to God's servants, Yeshua still lives. Yeshua still remains faithful. And Yeshua still uh, makes a difference uh, in people's lives. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, um, we thank you and we praise you, God, for the opportunity that we have uh, that, that we have to be part of this story, that we have to be a continuation of this narrative, Lord, uh, all these centuries later, God. And uh, however we may find ourselves in, wherever we may find ourselves whatever situation we may find ourselves in, Lord, I pray that we would have in our minds to keep our eyes focused on Yeshua, to keep walking forward, and as it says in Hebrews chapter eleven and twelve, with such a great cloud of witnesses, may we uh keep moving forward, uh God in a Messiah. And we pray in Yeshua's name.